0: Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection
1: of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini.
0: Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the second half. Yes, I am too. So our listeners will remember that in our last episode we had started talking about the culture type assessment that you talk about in your book IX leadership and also that you work with your various clients assessing for purposes of determining a path for change. And as we've gotten to know each other over the past few months, um you had invited me actually to take the assessment And I will not be bashful. I am happy to talk about my results (laughs) in front of all of my listeners. Yeah, so I know that you've got it in front of you, as do I. And so I know that I'm an organizer. I have been accused of that before. But I think it probably means something a little bit different in the context of your framework and your paradigm. Do you want to talk about it a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I will. Because actually, you're kind of right smack in the middle between organizer and independent and those that those two types are self-driven they're both self-driven so what that means to me is that you're not afraid to go out on your own that you have you know you're kind of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps not afraid to take some risks kind of person it also means to me that you recognize that the chaos part of your life and what you do is a necessary part of growth and development, but at the same time, you also need that organizer side of you that actually takes care of getting things done and pushing for the logical reasoning behind stuff, so you're not going to be whisked away in a crazy spate of chaos like some independence can be, but, but, <laughs> but trust me. So I've, I've dealt with a lot of what we call entrepreneurial CEOs that literally can pivot a moment's notice. But so you value chaos for what it can provide, but you also really understand that being order tolerant is also an important part of your every day. And, uh, and so that is how I would read your, uh, read your culture type results. What do you think?
0: You know, I do think that that's pretty accurate. What's really interesting is that I, I, I kind of wonder, and I was going to ask you, like, where being the, you know, having the ideology of the introvert versus extrovert sort of fits within this. But I actually am, am an interesting amalgam of having, you know, being an engineer, being a lawyer, being very left brain, liking order, but I also the, I guess, the scientist in me also understands that you need to have change. I'm very much into what is the energy of a room? What is the energy of a situation? And so I, I definitely think that I I would not want to be in a state of chaos or flux all the time. That's not really who I am or what my vibe is, but I definitely do like taking circumstances and situations where change is happening, potentially helping to accelerate that and trying to create a new normal out of what comes of that. So does that make me sound like an organizer? <laughs> well, it does,
1: because part of that is, you know, creating that order out of that chaos. So you understand the value of that chaos and the drive to change and grow and to do something new and maybe reposition or disrupt. But you want to make that very, in a, in a sense, very productive or how do you get there fast and how do you take that crazy and create something that makes sense out of it and move everyone forward so yeah that's actually very organisory talk <laughs> um, I love. Oh, and, and you know i love that um and it's really fun because what it really doesn't in, in in contrast is it if you let's say you're the closest partner you work with is a fixer which is in the sort of opposite quadrant of where you are, it would just give you some insight into how like perhaps that person would be um, way too chaotic or wait way too long to try to organize their thoughts or for for them, they might think, Oh, that, Christina she's so she's way too organized for me. I we just need to brainstorm this. We don't need the path forward. And so it's really fun to then add another dimensions of people that you interface with and see how those get expressed.
0: You know, I would imagine that this is where the rubber meets the road for you in your work because you're leading and you're helping leaders and organizations sort of work through this paradigm and understand how each of these different types work together under different types of situations. So I was gonna ask you, as part of the assessment, are there certain types of professions that certain types of culture types do better in? Are there a certain set of strengths and weaknesses, for example, that you typically see among these different culture types?
1: Yeah, that's a tricky question because we really try to, we don't want to be prescriptive in the sense of, well, if you're, you can't be an engineer if you're an independent kind of thing, but we do see trends and patterns. Uh, One thing that you mentioned too, um, a second ago is the introvert extrovert piece. We see introverts and extroverts in every type that's not really aligned because what we're, we're really trying to identify is that work environment. And so it could be that an introvert actually wants to be a part of a team in the sense of they don't want to feel isolated. Because even though they're, quote, they're introverted, which means, you know, they're not an extrovert, but sometimes extroverts need, their, need to be in a team and sometimes introverts wants to be embedded in a team. Sometimes introverts want nothing to do with anybody and they're on their own. And so we really see quite a mix for that stuff. But we do see, and I guess the other thing I'll just bring up myself, because it's one of our sort of pet peeves, is the idea of this generational difference.
0: Oh, you mean like the millennials, post-millennials, baby boomers, Gen Xers?
1: Yeah, all that stuff and how, you know, we 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 somehow are so different we can't get along and what we really see is that we have culture types across all generations and how they're expressed might be slightly different like for instance if you have a stabilizer who is a millennial perhaps they find their social stability online and you know they have kind of this reputation for job hopping quote unquote but what really how we read that is that they need to feel like they have a family at work and if they don't feel like they the culture is a good fit or they have a family at work they will leave because they actually need that more than perhaps other generations so while one way to view that is well they don't they don't they're not they don't connect well with people it's actually really probably the opposite where they want more connection and if you don't have a culture that encourages that they Can't stay. They have to go find a way to connect with some people. So it's really interesting how the conversation uh, changes once you start understanding everyone's culture type and how they can fit together in a way that makes more sense than just trying to figure out. Well, they're 25 and this person's 55, and they'll never work together, right? So it's uh, was just it's a really interesting way to reframe some of the sort of common conversations that we see in some of the leadership world.
0: That's really cool. So do you have any other interesting anecdotes about other organizers that you've had a chance to interface with?
1: Oh, organizers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm afraid. (laughs) Oh, no, no. You know, one of the things that we intentionally did with the system is we really want to make sure that every single type is it's very clear that you have an absolute role to play. And when you get to operate in your area that's really comfortable and that's sort of your native work environment, that you really shine and you can thrive that way. And so other organizers that we've run into, you know, it's funny, we have um, typed some lawyers and they actually do tend to be organizers, which makes some sense. But we've also seen a lot of like CPAs that are, you know, a lot of tend to be that really detail oriented, I have to understand the details before you can understand the big picture kind of folks. They actually, the fun thing about organizers is they can really, they're very independent in the sense of they can work on their own for quite a length of time. It doesn't mean they don't like their friends, in fact or they don't like their, their co-workers. In fact, I'm working with a big team right now who they're, in, of course, going into tax season. It's an accounting firm. And man, do they love their happy hours. And <laughs> it's not like they don't like people. It's just that for work, they can work on their own and they can get into their work and really dig in and, and relish their work um, on their own time and in their own way. And so they might want to process things themselves before they bring it to the team. So it's, they, you know, the great thing about organizers, man, they get work done. They don't mess around. And um, that's really one of the biggest benefits of organizers is you can always count on them. You never have to worry about accountability. You never have to worry about focus. They're really great at those things. Um, Less great sometimes at the brainstorming. So if you want to go into a room, like it's so great, this company I'm working with uh, will remain unnamed to protect the innocent. But uh, they don't have any whiteboards in any of their conference rooms. Really? Wow. That's chaotic, right? You're just sketching things on the board. And they have monitors, so if you want to do a presentation on a big screen and that's prepared and predictable. But they really want to understand, like when we roll out a change for them and we're sort of changing or or really working hard to change how they move forward as a team on some specific tasks, we really have for, for the organizers, we really have to lay out, you know, this is what this is going to look like over the next six months, over the next nine months. This is what you can expect. This is where we should hit these things. You'll hear from us every month on these topics. Like they really, to ease their anxiety around change, they really want to know those details. Where if we're working with, we have an independent and a fixer on that team, and man, they have such a hard time buckling down and talking about actual things. They like to change things, but it's almost like they want to change things for change's sake. They're not necessarily solving a problem. They're just changing things up because maybe that'll help. And so it's just a completely different way to approach some of those challenges.
0: That's really fascinating. So taking culture types like organizers, for example, and leading and collaborating with an organization as they assess the culture types of their various team members, how do you work with them to go about creating a roadmap for change?
1: Well, change is really interesting because regardless of culture type, regardless of age or experience or a situation, frankly, everyone goes through the same kind of change transition. So it's initial resistance. I mean, you get to a place where you let go of the old way of doing things and you start looking forward and then you go through this really cool innovation phase where all of a sudden, crazy things seem kind of reasonable, and that's really fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You think about a time, maybe when you're done, maybe you were finished with law school and you were looking for, maybe you got your first job and you probably had to move. And then maybe you have a different personal situation. Maybe you start dating somebody or you break up with somebody or you get a dog or you buy a new car or you decide to, Change how you do, change your haircut. All of a sudden, you're because you don't know what your future state really looks like, you're really your mind is really wide open to all kinds of new ideas and creativity that if under the sort of old state, what we call the familiar, you kind of know. Like when you're kind of cruising along, you know exactly what your life looks like. And very hard to take on something new in during that sort of familiar, normal phase. But man, once you push your team into that, or I should say invite them into, <laughs> instead of push, <laughs> invite them into a change phase, what happens is you get into this innovation phase where you don't know what that future looks like. So all of a sudden you're willing to try things and try things on for size and experiment in a way that would never happen normally. And so if you can get your team into that that space, it is fun is heck. And frankly, you can really keep them there for a while or as short a time as you like. So leaders can really start leveraging the energy of their people. And, you know, the energy between anxiety and excitement is very small, like just imagine like a volume knob, you know, it's like a very small turn of that knob goes from excitement to anxiety. And, and the culture types give you insight into how to take that anxiety that people have around change and turn it into excitement. And man, that is super powerful, uh, super powerful tool.
0: How have you found our, I would imagine it's different depending on the different organizations and the different types of change and the different types of culture types that you're talking about with respect to having to try to effectuate change. What are some of the things that you've seen during the course of your work that have been effective ways for organizations to start broaching the topic with their teams that things need to change because i would imagine i mean i just know from having been a practicing attorney for 25 years that talking about big changes for example in the context of a law firm a lot of people get pretty scared hearing that kind of stuff and so what are some of the things that you've seen have as having worked to just even broach the topic with with teams
1: well there's a couple of things. So let's assume that most of the people in those offices are organizers and stabilizers. And most people are 66% I think are order tolerant. So in any environment you could assume that but especially in the legal profession, paralegals, you know, client facing administrative assistants, that kind of stuff would all be sort of tend to be more stabilizer organizer type personalities, um, culture types. And there's a couple really key things with those folks. One is don't just come out and say, there's going to be some change. We need to change things around here because that makes them crazy. They're not... As receptive to hand-waving, brainstorming, let's just figure things out as we go. That's not a way to roll anything out with those folks. Mm-hmm. So what you really want to do when you first approach a change is to have an idea of what it looks like, how it's gonna affect their life, how it's gonna affect every day, why you're doing it, like really have your vision of why you're changing really locked down. So you know, a lot of times fixers and independents who like change, they figure it'll be better. That just as a matter, of course. But so many times we have trained our people that changes at work are miserable and unhappy and terrible. And so they're going to assume that it's not going to be good. And so how can you position the change in the best light possible according to who you have on your team? So if you have organizers and stabilizers, you really want to have your act kind of together before you go talk to them make sure you have kind of your at least a straw man in place and that you can say you know this is going to be a six month thing or a year or it's not going to affect you and what you do every day it's going to affect how we bill or it might affect how we advertise and that has nothing to do with your day-to-day work or maybe it does but they should know they want to know and the other really really key thing about stabilizers and organizers is they take longer to move through change than the more chaos-tolerant types. And so you need to know that you need to start early. So if you think you need to pivot or disrupt in, let's say, the next six months, the, the, everyone's calling expecting a bit of a downturn in the markets, and what does that mean, and maybe you want to prepare for that. Well, don't wait until you feel like you have to. I would, even if you don't execute it, I would have a plan as early as possible and start sharing that plan. Because it's gonna take the staff a while. They're gonna resist initially, they're gonna take a little time. And so what often happens with leadership is they have a, if they wanna do something new and they don't wanna tell anybody until they absolutely have to. Well, then what happens is the leaders have thought about every aspect, every nuance of that change, for a year say or 6 months and then you give it to your staff and you expect them to take it and run well guess what they need just as much time as you did to figure out how this how to process this and how to take it on and so what we see as real missteps in leadership is they don't give enough time to, for people to take on the change and they don't give the the orderly types enough time In enough detail to understand what it really means, and and you can really, if you have fixers on your team, you know, have them involved early and say because fixers love fixing problems for their people, so they're kind of tuned in to what's going on in the workplace, and so a lot of times you can bring them in and have them as sort of internal advisors about what do you think, how do you think folks would react, you know, what do you think would happen? And they can actually help bring those people along. So there's lots of strategy that comes into change that will absolutely make change way more fun and and exciting and thrilling instead of uh, a bummer.
0: You just mentioned a few things that you think leaders can do to help effectuate change. What are some of the other qualities you have seen in, those instances where you've worked with companies where there has been significant change implemented well, what are some of the other qualities that you've seen among leaders of those organizations?
1: Well, there's a couple really big ones. We talk about values and vision. So that's important to make sure that the vision of the company and the individuals and the values are aligned and and that's important. But frankly, what we see, you know, those are kind of, things that feel very like let's do a retreat and figure out what our values are. And you know a lot of times we don't actively reflect behaviors all the time. So one of the things that we really focus on the behavior part is transparency is huge. And I know of course in a legal profession there is a lot of confidentiality, but what we mean by transparency is much more about how there let's say there's a problem the very first thing you want to do is get your team together and talk about the problem. Problems don't go away by hoping. And so being transparent about uh, whether it's a change plan or a a challenging client, or if somebody has is struggling with um, an interpersonal issue with somebody on the team, start solving that right away because not only are they your your people are your smartest and your most tuned in assets in your company, they're also the ones that are executing and pulling off stuff for you. And so for me, being transparent about the work, what's going on, challenges, problems, issues is absolutely essential because you want to have the smartest people in your team in the room trying to help solve problems. As a personal example, I worked for a short time at a small liberal arts university to build out their STEM program, their science, technology, engineering, and mathematics program, and but with my space background. And they have a lot of cutbacks, a lot of higher education institutions are facing tight and tight budgets, and so they had to do some cutting. And so they came out and they announced this laundry list of programs and people that were being um, you know, sort of reorganized out of existence. And it was such a tragedy because as a STEM person and as a person I do a lot of grant work and I had brought in, oh, half a million dollars or so into the university in various grants in a very short amount of time. And I thought, you know, if those folks in that room would have said to each other, we have a problem, who can help us solve this that's on staff right now? And they would have called me. I could have at least come in and said, okay, off this laundry list of potential cuts, I think I could help get money for number seven, nine, and 12. But because they did it, because they did everything in a closed room in a, the, the, you know, the same five people who are always in that room, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't effectively um, leveraging their own people in, in a way that would have made a real difference. And so for me, that is just an you know, an example of trying to do things without thinking beyond your, you know, when you want to keep things private or, or quiet or behind closed doors, it's just, it really usually does not serve the organization. Wow. So that's a big one for me. I'm a project management professional by training, so, which is all about team and uh, process and transparency. The other one that I have to say for my COO, for Meg, she is all about accountability and holding people to um, what they've committed to. And But we talk a lot about empathy as a sister to accountability. And Interesting. How to, I like that
0: idea, actually.
1: Yeah, how they have to work together. Because if you're only accountable, then you're a dictator. If you're only empathetic, then people run over you and you're not a strong leader. So how do we, and and plus I think empathy is critical to leadership, but to a lot of alpha type leaders, that sounds like a weakness. Empathy doesn't sound like something they can identify with. So it's something we really work hard to balance, to say using empathy as a strategy about how people work. And if Christina is um, chronically late in the morning, which I'm sure you never are as a
0: has an organizer, <laughs> as a organizer
1: um, I'm sure you're never late to anything. And if you are, it's under duress. A lot of times it's not because it's it might just because people that are late might be chaos people, and they just are bad at being on time. And that's one thing. But if there it's a requirement that they must be there on time, then, how can you help them under, with their understanding of who they are and how they operate what tools can you help give them so they so that they can be accountable to their own commitments and so a lot of times it's not just it's not carrot or stick it's really the tool to get you there and understanding how people work and that everyone works in their own way we always assume that people work like us and that's a real that that creates real problems. And so if we can understand how other people work, then we can then give them tools to work in a way that is more accountable and effective. So it's those two things are very tightly interwoven, but it doesn't excuse bad behavior. Bad behavior is bad behavior, and non-productive or non-performance is a thing, and Meg will tell you that she's the first one to recommend getting rid of people. But at the same time, I grew up through the government And we couldn't fire people. We couldn't fire poor performers. So I really, really worked hard to figure out how to motivate and uplift people, um, regardless. And so that's um, it. Really helped me figure out how to marry those two: accountable, accountability and empathy. Where and Meg is the same way. She's got a big, gooey center. She talks tough, but um, she really wants to help people too. But she also sees the liability of having. A non-performer on the team. So, you know, it's a—it's always a balance, but I think everybody could use a little bit of self-reflection around empathy and accountability. So,
0: You've raised some amazing points, and I just know that you will be joining me back on this show sometime in the very near future. Our time is almost up. I have one last question for you. You've done some amazing work and you have helped transform individuals as well as organizations. What are some of the biggest takeaways you've had from all of your experiences? Um, we can go back to when you were more of a scientist, um, which I think you're still a scientist today. You obviously think that way. Um, but when you were like the hardcore scientist, which makes me very proud because I'm one of those as well. But I would love to hear from you what some of your biggest takeaways and lessons learned have been from your personal and professional experiences?
1: I think the biggest ones are, you know, part of the reason that I feel driven to understand people and how we work is that, you know, it doesn't, didn't always come intuitively to me. And even though I was the best intentioned, I often misread people or, you know, as a you know, I just sort of ran over people um, a lot of times, and I get really uh, clearly passionate and excited. And I, I, uh, a lot of times i I didn't realize that I was not allowing other people to be who they were and to express themselves. And so it really grew out of this need to understand how people work. and and it is just such, so much fun and so rewarding to give that gift to other people and so my biggest takeaways really are that we think we know but we really don't so we think even those of us who have really good relationships and and are really great leaders you know understanding this chaos to order relationship it's amazing when we start talking in detail about how that positions relationships teams personal relationships change it's just it really seems to be at the core of so much of our interpersonal challenge and you know 70 percent disengagement in the workplace right now is really so much about helping leaders understand and reconnect with their people and that's really the takeaway for me over time is understanding I've just grown so much in how I understand how people work that it changes the lens through which I look at almost every relationship, whether it's personal or professional. And it just really, especially when people are going through big change, which is really stressful to a lot of people, gives me a lot more patience, gives me a lot more insight and actually helps me understand how to help them. And as a fixer, that's what I love. I love (laughs) that. And it's so wonderful to know that about myself it so sounds so narcissistic, but it just really does help me understand people and and how they work better and and how to and it's always a learning process though i I can't say that I'm you know perfect at it by any means so it's just i'm lifelong it's a lifelong journey and Every role I've ever had, I've really start, I've really learned something new and different and more about how this works. And that's why it's really become my life's work, because over the arc of science to now, you know, what I do and what we do and what the system does is it tries to take the pieces and, and tell a bigger story. And
0: that's really what science often tries to do. So, Rachel, it's been amazing. I have so enjoyed our time together. Where can our listeners find you? I'm sure that folks are very intrigued by our conversation and would love to learn more. So where can they find you? Well,
1: probably the most fun thing to do is they should take the quiz. We call it the quiz. It's the assessment online. If you go out to rosegroupintl.com, there's a little button right underneath the picture that says, discover your culture type. And So go find out your culture type. And we've got um, the, we have the book available on Amazon, IX Leadership, or ixleadership.com. We'll also connect you to all kinds of links to our social sites and all kinds of things. So I mean, once you start looking for us, uh, you'll see us everywhere.
0: <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to continue our conversation sometime soon.
1: Oh, thanks, Christina. I can't wait to see you again in person sometime.
0: Yes, definitely. Take care.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.